Good morning. I'm Pastor Steven, and it truly is a joy uh, to have the privilege of sharing God's Word with us. Uh, I hope you know that I don't look at this role and responsibility as uh, me versus you. Uh, we are in this together. God is doing work in and through us together. Amen? It's been a busy uh, several weeks. It was March the 10th that I last stood here and delivered a message in closing of a series of messages entitled Holy Habits and uh, specifically about the spiritual discipline of uh, Sabbath and rest. And some of you thought uh, that I took myself literally and just decided to take a Sabbath uh, for a month. Uh, following. Uh, March the 17th, we had Pastor Bob uh, launch us into our mission emphasis several weeks by uh, bringing us back into knowledge of what it is we know uh, historically here at Hyde Wesleyan Church to be faith promise and our faith promise uh, commitment together. And I, I just want to address that very quickly and I'm thankful for the 77 so far families and individuals who have committed uh, because God has laid upon their heart a commitment level and a financial number to to give towards mission in this coming church year. If you don't know, our church year begins uh, again on April 1st, and uh, we start a brand new uh, church year and uh, go through the church year differently than the, uh, the calendar year, and uh, we're excited about how God's going to use this coming year and uh, our emphasis in giving towards mission. So we hope you'll consider joining us on that if you haven't yet. Uh, on March the 24th, we had our first guest here, uh, Phil Smart from uh, World Hope International, and uh, he shared specifically about how our giving, our mission giving uh, through World Hope continu continues to make efforts in helping rescue uh, some who are uh, lost in human trafficking, and uh, uh, the efforts that World Hope is a part of are incredible. The testimonies out of that, uh, I hope you know, I hope you're following on Facebook and online at World Hope to see uh, what God is doing and how it is that we as a church, because we have committed financially to being part of those efforts, we are a part of that. A couple weeks ago on uh, March, the 20, or, or, uh, March the 31st, we had our friend from uh, Dearborn, the Dearborn Project, sharing about the uh, ministry efforts of reaching that community, specifically a, a, a heavily populated Muslim community with the hope of Jesus by building relationships and being a person of influence. And I'm thankful for what God did in our midst of that week. And I'm excited about what God's doing. I've heard some stories of people who are just uh, kind of having a, a heartbeat towards what is happening there in Dearborn. And I'm excited to see what God does through Hyde Wesleyan Church uh, and how we continue to support the ministries there. Last Sunday, my personal mentor and my coach, Dr. Jim Dunn, was here. And he shared specifically about the Holy Spirit and the power that we can rely on as men and women who are called by God and as a church that is marked by the Holy Spirit. And the, the message was specifically the church God dreams of. And, and I just want to follow that up this morning quickly by telling you that I believe God's Holy Spirit is upon us in a powerful way. He is at work in and through us. And I am excited about what God is doing and how he is going to continue to change the world through the efforts, the people, the resources of our Hyde Wesleyan Church. 
I hope you're excited. I hope you are excited as you look around and see new faces. I hope it's not discouraging. Don't let it be. Next Sunday, when hopefully we pack this place out on Easter Sunday as we do traditionally, allow that to give life to you. Maybe shake hands with someone that you don't know. Maybe they've been here for as long as you have. That's okay. Introduce yourself to someone new this Sunday and next specifically. Uh, This morning, again, I know some of you wondered if I was ever going to stand here again after the past several weeks because you mentioned it to me in passing. Let me just say, I'm excited to share what God has laid on my heart for this morning. And we're going to look specifically at four verses from the book of Luke chapter 1 as Luke introduces his letter to Theophilus. And before I do, I want to share to you, I want to share with you uh, another book that I've uh, read in the recent past couple of years, a book that was uh, uh, written and uh, I I jumped on it. Someone recommended it to me and I, I jumped on it and read it and it really really impacted my life in the past several years. But uh, again, since what has been talked about uh, two weeks ago from the Dearborn Project and the ministry that's going on there, I want to highly recommend this book to anyone who may be interested. It's a book entitled Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. And it was written by Dr. Nabil Qureshi. The tagline of the book is, "A A Devout Muslim Encounters Christianity. And uh, Dr. Qureshi is a born-again believer in in Jesus Christ and a former devout Muslim. It's a fantastic book. It really uh, sets forth a a page, a picture, a testimony uh, of a life transformed by the Word of God. Living proof that God transforms hearts and lives. I wrote some things after I finished reading the book in my own personal journal. Here's what I I wrote the morning after I finished reading Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. Let me read this. I read Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus by Nabil Qureshi with the hope of getting a much-needed perspective change from the typical Christian apologetics as it relates to navigating the subject of Islam in the Muslim world. What I got was a book I couldn't put down. I couldn't stop highlighting and I'm not sure what to do with upon completing reading it. Nabil's account is overwhelming. It's inspiring. It's real. I found myself laughing and crying. Admittedly, I was overwhelmed at the Islamic education I seemed to be receiving while reading. The glossary was helpful as Nabil was sure to walk slowly with those of us who are uneducated in Muslim and Islamic terminology. What I appreciated most from the book was Nabil's candid personal glimpse at what following Christ cost him personally. I recommend this book, not just for its readability and personal account storyline, but for the way it challenges the reader, me, to pursue building relationships with those outside of our own faith circles as a way of growing in our faith and sharing the gospel with action and word. In his book, Nabil recounts the way he critically researched Christianity for any ounce of validity. His Muslim faith, his foundation, taught him to reject Christianity outright, ridiculing the Bible as authoritative, that Jesus could ever have claimed to be the Son of God, or that Jesus even died on the cross. When Nabil sought information on these assumptions he had since birth, assumptions he had been taught his whole life, he quickly found that they couldn't be held as tightly as he once had thought. 
when he started to think and investigate Christianity critically, he found things he could not discredit any longer. When he was encouraged to do the same to his own faith, Islam, he instantly bristled because there is no questioning of authority in the Islamic faith. But he did eventually begin to test what he had been taught his entire life. And he found himself realizing how fragile the foundation truly was that he had built his life around. In August of 2005, Nabil prayed to ask Jesus to be his Lord and Savior, completely surrendering and dying to all he once held dear to grasp hold of his faith in Jesus Christ. He has lost his relationship with his Muslim family, walked away from a profitable medical professional track, and now he works as a speaker, apologist, evangelist, and debater with the Ravi Zacharias International Organization. One of my favorite parts of Nabil's story was his coming to faith involved an almost scientific, critical thinking method of investigating the purported claims of Christianity and his then-held faith in Islam. One of the biggest issues for Nabil was how welcoming, how welcoming the Christian faith was to asking tough questions, seeking answers, and the literal working out our faith with fear and trembling. Nabil came to faith in 2005, and just a couple of years ago, he lost a battle to cancer and is now inherited his eternal reward in eternity in heaven with Jesus Christ. I celebrate that with his family. His ministry continues on. His books are continually widely published. His wife carries uh, the banner of Nabil's ministry into corners of the world. It's interesting to watch things unfold because of a life transformed through Jesus Christ. A powerful, powerful story. Again, one of the impacts of the book in my own life revolves around the reality of asking the question sometime or another in my life, not just one time, but again and again, going through seasons of asking, why is it that I believe what I believe? Why is it that my family ascribes to this faith in Jesus Christ? How can I know that I know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? I think we find a similar set of circumstances revolving around these opening verses of the book of Luke that I want to look at specifically. It's on the screen. You can also follow along. I see some screens on. I hope you're not playing solitaire or angry birds. Actually, it'd be fine if you are, if you think that way. I I don't care. You can follow along with the Bible. Uh, The Bible app is available for you, and we've tried to outline each week for you that way. Follow along as I read from Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. God's word says this. Luke, inspired by God's Holy Spirit, penned these words. Many people, Luke writes, have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Verse 3, having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. Lord Jesus, 
please do a work here in us. Transform our hearts and our minds. I pray that you would open our spirits to hear from you today. That you would give us your message today. That you would confirm in us what you are already actively doing. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I want to propose to us that from these short verses of Luke, a few ways, two ways, two very simple things you can write down, you can scribble on an envelope from the seat back in front of you. Two simple reminders of how it is we can be certainly certain about our faith. Certainly certain as Christians of how it is we can hold fast to the foundation for living and pursuing living holy lives. Certainly certain of a faith. Uh, if that didn't throw up a red flag for you, I hope someone nudged you and like, oh, that sounds sketchy. Certainly certain of a faith should be uh, an oxymoron. We should admit that out loud. I, I understand that our stated belief in God our stated understanding of salvation made available through Jesus Christ, his blood and his blood alone. Uh, a stated faith and understanding of our eternal reward for accepting the marvelous gift of grace through Jesus Christ. These things are believed by faith. Faith. A word we throw around an awful lot in Christian circles. Faith is literally belief without concrete proof. But faith that we are called to have as brothers and sisters in Christ is not a blind faith. Beautifully, as Christians today, we are not asked to come into relationship with Jesus Christ simply because someone before us has. We are invited into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Not simply, don't settle for it, friends. A corporate, congregational relationship with Jesus. Jesus Christ wants to be your Lord and Savior. This morning, I want us to understand that I'm not trying to advocate pursuing concrete proof. We're not going to put on our investigative hats this morning and go uh, dig around archaeologically this morning. There's so much fun in that mentality, so much fun in that pursuit, and it's okay to pursue affirming our faith. I truly do believe that we can confirm and affirm, that we can know what we know on why it is we believe what we do as the church of Jesus Christ. To echo the hymn of my childhood, written just a couple years before I was a child, in 1883, the hymn, I Know Whom I Believed. Verse 1 says this, I know not why God's wondrous grace to me he hath made known, nor why unworthy Christ in love redeemed me for his own. The second verse, I know not how his saving faith to me he did impart, nor how believing in his word wrought peace inside my heart. But the chorus says, I know whom I have believed 
and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Fancy old world language to answer the question, why do I believe what I believe? I may not know why God chooses to give his grace, his forgiveness to a human being such as I. I may not know how it all works, but I know I stand firm on knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is the Savior of the world. I have a hope inside of me that I can't help but share with you on this Palm Sunday. Here in our scripture, the opening sentences of Luke, we find Luke is addressing his letter, this account to the most excellent Theophilus. It's because of this title that Luke uses that many scholars presume some things about Theophilus. They ask the question, they wonder, maybe is, is he a Roman official? Is he a Roman official who has come to faith and come to understand something specific about this Jesus? We understand that he's definitely one who has been taught what Christianity entails and one that Luke is seeking to continue to disciple, to help him grow in his faith. And so this morning, along with Luke, let's look at these two areas, how we can be certainly certain, how we can confirm, how we can be affirmed in trusting the gospel to be true. First, two words, many accounts. Many accounts. Look at verses 1 and 2. They're highlighted on the screen. Many, Luke writes, have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Listen, this morning, I don't think it's too far to reach to think that Theophilus would have read Luke's account, his letter, with a bit more skepticism, at least, if instead of these opening sentences, Luke would have begun with this instead. Dear Theophilus, you've got to trust me here. I'm about to tell you something that no one else is going to ever be able to confirm. What I'm about to tell you, I found scribbled in an unknown language that I was given the ability myself to interpret. And here and now, I give you that interpretation. What we have instead of that fanciful idea is Luke, the gospel writer, taking time to admit that he's done his homework, that many have said these same things about Jesus. We have them in Scripture. We call them, fancily, the synoptic Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. If you've ever tried to read through the New Testament and you've read Matthew, and then you start to read Mark, you're like, I've heard this somewhere before. And then you read Luke, and you're like, I've heard this twice before. They are very similar. We often read them in sequence together around this time of year. These three accounts that, while written by three very different earthly authors, three different experiences, three different mindsets, three different lives lived, these Gospels remain remarkably in sync affirming the explanations of the others by introducing the same events from different perspectives and themes themselves. Here, 
In these opening verses, Luke affirms the truth of the story of Jesus Christ being certainly certain because it is confirmed again and again from many sources. Again, he says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. The truth is that it was eyewitnesses who handed down the gospel story. It was those who were in the presence of Jesus that gave the gospel account. This is so important for us to acknowledge as believers because I believe we take for granted that those closest to Jesus were real people. They're not just characters in our Bible story. They're not just people we think we know something about. Jesus' disciples are real people in history and that they were inspired by His Holy Spirit to seek after recording the events of Jesus' life, this world-changing life. And they did so with such an accuracy that is only available from those who were on the scene. We know in our world how important eyewitness accounts are, especially when eyewitnesses can't get their stories right. Why do news channels rush to the scene of where an event is taking place? They know they can sell the news that night if an eyewitness was there on the scene and can tell what happened. When police arrive on the scene of a crime, they ask not for those who think they know what happened, but for those who watched it unfold in front of them. And those police investigate their stories. Luke is this kind of a personal investigator. He's this kind of reporter as he seeks to write his account. He more than likely wasn't in the presence of Jesus during Jesus' ministry. Rather, he himself pursued the readily available sources of eyewitnesses and travel diaries and letters and trial transcripts and any other sources he would have had access to to base his investigative reporting upon. Luke, therefore, wrote this subsequent history of Jesus' life beautifully about his life and his ministry, his death and his resurrection. He goes on to write the book of Acts to tell the story of the beginning of the church that Jesus establishes through Peter. Why? Why should the idea of many sources be important to you and to me? You needn't go further than uh, understanding this reality if you've ever raised two children at the same time in your household. If you've ever heard the blood-curdling scream from somewhere upstairs while you're downstairs of one of your children and you've rushed to the scene of the crime and you've asked to those two, what in the world happened? If those stories don't align, someone's getting grounded. Am I right? If those two stories don't add up, that the door frame jumped out from behind the door and hit Ezra in the back of the head? That wasn't the story that was told. We know the importance of lining up the stories and how that validates the reality in front of us. When those two stories aren't aligned, we know something's up. Someone's more than likely getting punished. But when those multiple sources tell the story very similarly, it's much more likely that I'm to believe what I've been told. Don't tell my kids that, just in case they decide to tell the same story, even if it didn't happen that way. 
it's been said of the Bible. That the Bible's books cover history, sermons, letters, a hymn book, and a love song. There are geographical surveys and architectural specifications. There are travel diaries, population statistics, family trees, inventories, and numerous legal documents covered in Scripture. It covers, the Bible covers hundreds of controversial subjects with amazing unity. The Bible can be trusted I read one pastor write it this way. He, he wrote, authors like Dan Brown of the Da Vinci Code book will try to tell us that gospels, the gospels were written hundreds of years later by powerful bishops and rulers who were trying to force their version of Christianity onto other people. That's nonsense. The story... The stories of Jesus were doing the rounds right from the beginning, and of course they were. If anyone started adding new stories to Jesus' account, they would have been rejected right away. We can trust Luke's account because it matches what others have said about Jesus. We today can be certainly certain. We can affirm and confirm our faith that the Bible is reliable because it is a result of many sources, many accounts are telling the same story. Secondly, we can be certainly certain, we can affirm our faith because of the ability we have for personal investigation. Personal investigation. Remember what Luke writes in verses 3 and 4 to Theophilus. He says, with this in mind, these many accounts that have been written since I myself, Luke says, have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, the whole story, I too, Theophilus, decide to write an orderly account for you so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So that you may know so that you may be certain the things you have been taught. Apparently, Luke, the physician, Luke, the historian, as he's fondly remembered, after careful personal investigation of the circulating stories of Jesus, found them to be overwhelmingly affirming, so much so that he too found it necessary, inspired by God's Holy Spirit, to write himself an orderly account, to put it on papyrus, <laughs> to give the account of what he knew to be true. The purpose, initially, was for Theophilus, whoever he may be, to receive the same kind of clarity and certainty, to have the same affirmation in his life that Luke had personally experienced. I, I think there's some important truth here for us today. As we seek affirmation in believing what we believe, it, you know that one of the tried and true evangelistic methods of the church today is to challenge someone who uh, may not yet know the truth of Jesus. They may not be completely all in. They haven't sold out. They haven't surrendered. They haven't said, I, I believe what you believe. We challenge them oftentimes to, to possibly read through something like the book of John in the New Testament. We challenge them in, in that moment. We, we know that the Gospel of John or the, any of the Bible, hand it to, to someone and allow the work of the Holy Spirit through the reading of His Word and the understanding and the investigating that can happen in that moment to do a work of transformation. 
We believe that the truth of the Bible holds up to the scrutiny of personal investigation. It's why our Gideon brothers make sure that they do their best to place Bibles in as many hotel rooms and hospital rooms as is possible, to hand out New Testaments on college campuses, to spread the truth of Jesus by sharing his word. Do you understand? Have have you taken for granted the reality that there's no fear in our belief, in our faith, in Christianity, in, in, uh, in our desire to know Jesus? There is no fear that if the truth was revealed, our foundation would be shaky. Do you know that? There's no secretive society that exists that's trying to uh, create Christianity to be something that it's not. We know it holds fast. Our foundation is firm. We can trust God's Word. Jesus Himself claimed not to be a way, but to be the way, the truth, and the life. In Nabil's book, Again, seeking Allah and finding Jesus. One of the ways his Islamic Muslim foundations began to crumble underneath him was when he had specific questions about passages from his book, the Quran, or the history of Islam that he was met time and time again by those who were in authority in his life. He was met time and time again with a don't question that, Nabil response. Don't ask that question. Literally, he was told again and again, don't investigate that. Just believe what you've known your whole life. Believe what you've been told. Stand firm. Don't ask those questions from his family and the Islamic teachers that he was pursuing. I am so thankful, friends, that I don't have the same story. No one in my life ever told me not to read God's word for myself. To trust my pastor, my dad. To trust my grandfather, his pastor, his dad. No one ever said, just follow suit, son. I was encouraged. I was encouraged my whole life. And it was easy for me just to uh, go through the motions and believe what my family believed. But when I began to ask questions, even before I asked any questions, my family encouraged me to grow in my faith, not to grow in my family's faith. Many of us here this morning have had multiple personal confirmations that the faith that we hold dear as Christian brothers and sisters is truth because it's been confirmed in our life experiences. We may have experienced things that someone else would refer to as a coincidence, but we are affirmed in our faith because God reveals himself through his word, by his spirit, by another Christian in a way that we can't deny him being absolute truth. The early disciples, too, were not wishy-washy in deciding whether they believed in Jesus or not. They weren't wishy-washy in whether they should pursue the things of Christ and continue on in a lifestyle of repeating the story of the truth of Jesus. They experienced their faith in such a way that it was confirmed for them, confirmed enough for them to live the remainder of their lives often in danger of death 
around every corner. Traditionally, most of them met a gruesome death and martyrdom. Peter traditionally is crucified head down. Andrew crucified. James beheaded. John banished to the island of Patmos. Philip martyred in Turkey. Bartholomew skinned alive and then beheaded. Thomas speared to death. These disciples, many of these sitting in our seats this morning, have surrendered a lot to pursue the things of Jesus. We most often hear the stories when we talk about those who are in other countries surrendering everything for the cause of Christ. At this point of Luke's personal investigation, it's more than simply affirming that Luke did good investigations, that he did good work, that he wrote a good report. It's also a reminder for you and for me that our faith, our pursuit, our belief, what we believe, to know what we know, stands up to personal investigation. You know this to be true. That the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, God sending his only son, as a once and for all sacrifice, as the perfect, unblemished, holy lamb of God. The truth that Jesus came, lived a perfect, blameless life, and surrendered his life willingly as the sacrifice upon a cross. That he was died, buried, and he rose again on the third day. The truth of that, the resurrection of Jesus, the conquering sin and death, the truth of that is such a complex, how does it all work? It's so complex in its hugeness, and yet it's so simple that we believe with all of our hearts that right now, a four-year-old is being taught that truth, and that they can make a decision to follow after Jesus. That a toddler is being presented that truth in a nursery right now. And we believe and we know that their life can be forever transformed. Our job, our role as a church, as a disciple in culture is to come alongside those young people, young in the faith, not just young numerically, but young in their understanding of who Jesus is. Our role is coming alongside and discipling, walking with, Not just for someone else to receive the knowledge, but for us to grow in our faith as we walk alongside someone, as we teach them the ways of Jesus, as we walk through Scripture, as we decide and discern, as we walk through tough conversations as our culture continues to turn its back on God. We have to be in this together. One of my jobs as a dad is to take off my pastor hat and be a dad who disciples his kids. Two who are young in the faith that I don't want ever to be guilty of them having said, yeah, my, my parents, they have a belief. I want them I want them to know that they know to be certainly certain. We have this conversation often. 
with our kids, we invite them to ask tough questions. We try to create a culture in our household of asking questions that make us go, oh, ask your mother. No, I, that's another conversation. I, I, I want our household to be a comfortable place to ask questions. Similarly, I want our church family, I want, I want this place to be a place that we can work through the tensions that exist, to have tough conversations, to talk about black and white stuff, to answer some questions that are being asked all around us, to work through our fear with faith, work through our faith with fear and trembling. Will you stand with me in closing? We know that the Bible contains a lifetime of pursuable knowledge and we believe that we can grow in faith every single day as we not only study God's living word but as we apply it to our lives. From Luke's opening sentences to the very honorable Theophilus, we too can hold fast to our faith's certainty because of its many accounts, generations who have given their all for the cause of Christ. And the opportunity we have today, the joy, the privilege we have of personal investigation, of asking tough questions. There is nothing in this life that God says, nope, not going to help you through it. He's walking with us each and every day. And we can choose to lean into that. He is the source. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, for the one here this morning who may be struggling with doubt, may literally be asking why why does my family believe this God I pray that your Holy Spirit would do a work even in this moment to shed your light shed your light on those dark places God I pray that we as a church as a culture as a churched culture would so decide to be a place where tough questions can be asked and conversations that cause tension can be had, that people feel comfortable asking those questions. I pray that you would give us grace in the moments that we give it, get it wrong and that you'd help us not to simply be stubborn, but that, God, you would give us your your truth in love to share with the world. God, I thank you for Nabil Qureshi, and I thank you for his ministry and for the testimony of his life. I thank you for the testimony of a transformed life that we saw during our offering this morning. Thank you for the stories of men and women, boys and girls, surrendered to your lordship each and every day 
walking in faith, pursuing holiness. Lord, would you continue to do a work in and through us? Would you help us to be confirmed and affirmed in what we know to be true? And God, I ask that we would not surrender to the ease of trusting someone else's faith for our own, but that we would pursue being in a personal relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Lord, I pray ahead of this busy week, and I ask that you would guide us. I pray for our our leadership team this morning, this afternoon, as we gather for our board meeting. I pray, God, that you would use this time to edify and grow us. I pray that you would continue, God, to pour out your spirit upon this congregation as we surrender everything to you every single day. Would you do a work in and through each of us, we pray, in Jesus' name. And God's people this morning said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. See you Thursday.